0: morning, everybody. Our passage this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Grace Community Church. My name is Josh Habman. I am the executive pastor here at Grace. And uh, for those of you who are longtime grace attenders, you know that I am not uh, the regular pastor. Our lead pastor, Brooks Simpson, hurt his back a number of weeks ago, but he is making a good recovery and does hope to be back, which is great. Um, but I'm giving you fair warning, I go shorter than he does. So don't get any sort of expectation from today's service, because Brooks will ruin that for you. We are in a series of sermons called Searching for Answers: Encountering Jesus. And in this series, we've been looking at different encounters that Jesus has with people in his ministry. And in that ministry, he meets people and they come to him with questions. Sometimes they ask those questions, sometimes those questions are just apparent from the conversation that they have. And today, we are going to look at the question: What is my purpose? This is not a question that the disciples asked Jesus, but the passage that Peter just read for us, is Jesus interacting with his disciples for the last time before he leaves this world? So this is the conversation he has with them, and it is about purpose. He is telling them what their purpose should be. So when we think about purpose... We think about uh, belonging and uh, direction, and we think about where we're going and what we're doing and what uh, plans there are for our life. And in fact, last week, Pastor Jason talked about belonging, and he said that we belong in the family of God. He said that's where our belonging will be. But often, when we're just thinking about where do we feel good, where do we feel like we belong. Uh, We we also enter purpose into that equation. Think about it this way. If you feel like uh, you like to work with your hands and you like to build things and make things, then it is likely that you feel at home with people who do the same thing, right? It's it's, It's likely that you find belonging in a community of people who also build and create and work with their hands. And so you might think then, if you feel connected there, hey, my purpose is to do this. My purpose is to create, it's to build. It might be the case that you feel at home with uh, people who have families, and so you might think, oh, my purpose is to have a family. God has a purpose for us that has nothing to do with our feelings, though. He has a purpose for us and for his disciples, and we'll talk about whether we are, not, uh, we are or are not his disciples, but he has a purpose for his disciples that is very specific. So we want to get to that today, but before we get to that, we do have to talk about some of the ways that the world addresses purpose. So let's talk about some of those a minute. Here is a purpose statement from Gandhi. Uh, You have probably heard, if not these words, something very like this. He says, The main purpose of life is to live rightly, think rightly, act rightly. The soul must languish when we give all our thought to the body. So he's saying that purpose is a matter of intention. It's a matter of right thinking, of even moral intention, of having the right uh, morals or structures in your life to do the right thing. And that is a common way that the world talks about purpose, that you have to be aligned in your thoughts. Another way that the world talks about purpose is uh, like this John D. Rockefeller quote. John D. Rockefeller, for those of you who don't know, uh, captain of industry in the United States, uh, famous for building lots of wealth right? And having lots of financial success. And he says, singleness of purpose is one of the chief essentials for success in life, no matter what may be one's aim. So he says, it doesn't really even matter what your purpose is so long as you're focused. And so this is another way that the world talks about purpose. Are we focused? Do we have a singleness of mind and attention and purpose? That's what's most important. There is another way that the world talks about purpose. This is one that you most likely have done in one way, shape, or form. It's this. The purpose of life is to know yourself, love yourself, trust yourself, and be yourself. You might have said this. Maybe not exactly these words, but something like these words. And so, uh, actually, in, in all honesty, this comes from my tea. I drink, uh, I drink tea, and on the, on the tea bag, right? There's sometimes there's little pithy sayings on there. Uh, this was on one of my tea bags recently, and it said this, and I thought, well, this is too good not to use, right? And then I had the same one show up like three days later, and I'm like, God obviously wants me to quote this. So <laughs> this is not from you, this is from my tea, but this is the sort of thinking that the world is likely to give to you, right? That if you want to know what your purpose is, just look inside yourself. There's a problem with that, though. Because the world, by and large, has rejected God, right? The prevailing ideology, the prevailing thought uh, pattern in our culture today is naturalism, which says that there is nothing but the material that exists in the universe, and it's made up by random chance, and that's all there is. And if that's all there is, then that's all that you are. And if that's all that you are, if your purpose is to know yourself and love yourself and trust yourself and be yourself, that's that's an awful purpose, to know that you're dust, to know that you're dust that's just assembled by random chance and you came from nothing and you're going to nothing and that's it. That's your purpose. That's a terrible purpose. I don't want that purpose for you. And if you believe that there's a God, this is severely lacking because he's not anywhere in there. And if he's the creator and sustainer of the universe, our purpose has to have something to do with him. And so that's going to fall short too. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at what Jesus tells his disciples their purpose is um, a couple of different ways. Number one, we're going to look at this uh, divine dichotomy. A dichotomy, for those of you who don't know, is just a splitting into two parts Okay, And so divine God right? is going to split people, all people, into two parts, and we're going to look at those two different groups that God assembles, or that God calls, uh, two different groups, and we're going to see what the difference is between the two of them. Uh, We're going to look at the disciples who are disciples, just free and clear, they're just disciples, but then there are disciples who doubt, and we're going to spend some time on doubt because this is something that all of us struggle with. So we're going to talk about doubt. Um, And then we'll get back to that question of what is our purpose. Okay, so that's where we're headed today. Would you join me? Let's pray and we'll get started. Holy God, I thank you and I praise you for giving us a purpose better than the one that we would choose for ourselves. I thank you because you are good and you have made us, Lord, uh, to reflect your image and that in and of itself is a wonderful purpose, uh, Lord, but you have gone beyond that and you've called us to join in your work. So I praise you, and I thank you for that, and I ask, Lord, that you would be with us today. As Steve has uh, rightly pointed out, Lord, we are temples of your Holy Spirit, if you are in our hearts. Uh, so I pray, Lord, that you would be in all of our hearts today, right now, here, and that you would be speaking through me. Uh, let no one remember what I said, Lord, but let everyone remember what you have said to them today, I pray. In your name, Jesus, amen. All right, so we are going to work backward through this text. So this is a little unconventional, bear with me. But we're going to work backward <clears throat> and we're going to start in Matthew twenty eight nineteen. So Matthew twenty eight nineteen says this I'll just remind you uh, what Peter just read. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Twenty eight nineteen. Jesus divides everybody up in that one verse, in this in this one statement to his disciples. He says, You are either a disciple or you are not. Those are the two groups that he lays out. Look at how he does that. He says, Go therefore and make disciples. Who's he speaking to? He's talking to his own disciples. This is who Jesus is addressing. He's talking to uh, Mary, um, some of the other women who have followed Jesus, probably Martha, uh, others of his disciples, but for sure the 11, because just in the, the previous verses we see that the 11 disciples now my, minus Judas have been called here to this place. And so we know those people are who are being addressed. And he says, go and make disciples of all nations. So who, who is a disciple and who is not? Well, the people Jesus is talking to, we know they're disciples. But as far as we know, everybody else in this at this point is not, right? Anybody who he's not addressing is, is not a disciple. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman or young or old or a Jew or a Greek or whatever. You're just either a disciple or you're not. That's the distinction he makes. And that's important when we talk about purpose because we need to know which group we fall into. Are we a disciple of Jesus? Are we following him? This is what a disciple is. Somebody who follows someone else. Someone who pays attention to their teaching. Someone who emulates or tries to make their pattern of life look like this other person's. Right? You look at what they do and what they say and you say, I want, I want my life to look like that. I want to say the things they say and do the things they do. That's what a disciple is. So either we are a disciple or we're not and that's going to help us understand purpose. So hang on to that for a second. And let's look at the way that Jesus describes these disciples because we have some ideas already about what a disciple looks like and what a disciple doesn't. In Matthew 28, 17, we're going backwards up through the text here, Jesus says this. I'm sorry, the text says this. Jesus doesn't say this. Um, 28, 17 says, and when they saw him, these are the disciples now, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. Okay, so that sounds like disciples, right? The disciples are worshiping Jesus. That makes sense. And then the very next words, but some doubted. They worshiped him, but some doubted. So look at what Jesus says. There are two groups of people. There are disciples and there are not disciples. You are either in one or the other. You are not, there's no middle, right? There's no maybe a disciple. You either are or you aren't, you are not. But uh, of all of the ways you can't, uh, you, you don't follow Jesus, right? There are many. You could just doubt, Um, You could just not be sure. You could not believe. You've decided in your mind that I I don't believe. Or you could reject God. There's really just kind of two options for the disciples. Some simply believe. And there are many instances in Scripture where people come to Jesus and they don't appear to have any doubts. That's that's a common thing. There are people who come to Jesus and they don't appear to have any doubts. They just believe. But there are also many, and among them, the famous disciples—Peter, right, Uh, Mary, Thomas, many—we'll talk about here in a minute. There are many who doubt. It doesn't mean that they're not disciples; they just doubt. And so, you can be a disciple and also doubt. So let's look at what that means, because that sounds foreign to some of us. Some of us feel uh, not so comfortable with that. We feel like if we're disciples, we ought to just trust Jesus, and He does want you to trust Him. But He knows that you're going to struggle. So let's look at Peter at the crucifixion. So I'm not going to turn to this text. If you want to, you can turn to that text. Um, But Matthew 26, uh, the last few verses there, Matthew 26, is about Peter's denial of Jesus during the the trial, right? Pilate and Jesus are having this conversation over on the side. Uh, Pilate is trying to determine whether or not to crucify Jesus. And Peter has the opportunity three times to affirm that he follows Jesus and three times he denies that he follows Jesus. But he doesn't stop being a disciple. We know he doesn't stop being a disciple because he is still there after Jesus is resurrected, and in the end of the book of John, we see that Peter and Jesus are reconciled to each other. So we know that Peter remains a disciple, but he just, he doubts. This is a part of his experience as a disciple. He struggles with doubt. When he is called to affirm that he follows Jesus, he's afraid. And so he doubts and he says, I don't actually know Jesus, but he doesn't stop being a disciple. Most of us are not going to be in that position, right? I don't think any of us are ever going to be at the crucifixion of Jesus and given the opportunity to deny him or affirm him. Not going to happen. So let's look at another example because this is going to be more instructive, I think, for us. There are three people in the parable of the prodigal son, and I'm going to turn here. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn with me to Luke, do that and I'm going to read uh, from Luke chapter 15, the parable of the prodigal son. So many of you know this. This is a very commonly taught passage. This is the sort of story that you're likely to have heard if you went to church as a young person. But it's a good example of the way that we can handle our doubts or the way that we should handle our doubts because there are three different examples here that we can look at. So this is Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Uh, And he said, this is Jesus telling the story. Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And so he, that's the father, divided his property between his sons. Now, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So this is the first example. This is the prodigal. And the prodigal is like those who are not disciples, and not only do they doubt the goodness of the father, right? In this parable, the father is generally understood to be God the father. And so not only does he doubt the goodness of the father, but he has gone so far as to reject him. He says, Father, I wish you were dead. Uh, I wish you would just give me your inheritance now. I I don't want to wait for you to die. I wish you were dead now. Give me your money now. And so he gets the inheritance and he goes. He's rejected God. He's rejected his father. And that is where many people who are not disciples are. They've just rejected God. Let's keep reading the story. But... When this younger son came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, I just told you, the father in this parable is typically understood to be God. But this father can also be a model for us. This father doubts that his son is alive. He thinks his son is dead. And so when he sees his son coming down the road, he runs out to meet him and embraces him. And before his son even asks for forgiveness, this father has accepted him back into the family. So he has doubted, and he has struggled with that doubt, but he has not stopped believing. So this is another example for us of what a disciple can do. I'm not saying this father is a disciple, because Jesus is not telling this parable about disciples. I'm just saying this is an example from Scripture of what it looks like to struggle with doubt and still believe. So he struggles with his doubt because he thinks his son is dead, but he doesn't stop hoping in God. And so when God returns his son, he praises God and brings his son back into his home. But there's another brother, there's a second brother. Verse 25, now his older son was in the field and this older son came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked, what do these things mean? And the servant said to the older brother, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But this older brother was angry and refused to go in. So his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This brother is another example of how we can do discipleship with doubt wrong, right? The, the younger brother, he gets it wrong at first. He eventually turns around. We'll talk about that in a minute, but he rejects God. Here's a disciple who doesn't stop believing, but doubt becomes his foundation. He ceases to believe that his father is good. He stops believing that. So the doubt takes over. And even though he lives with his father, and even though he obeys the commands of his father, he's not in right relationship with his father because he doesn't trust his father. And we can get this way as disciples. So here are some examples for us. We've got the father, uh, the prodigal, rather, um, the older brother, and the father. And all three of them represent different examples of how we can handle doubt in our relationship as disciples. So, The prodigal, he starts out not as a disciple at all. And when he is convicted, the scripture says when he came to himself, right? We understand that it is the Holy Spirit at work in us that creates this understanding of our sin. He confesses. He says, I'm a sinner. And so he goes to his father, but here's how God, here's how God works. He doesn't wait for us to get there and confess. The father runs out to meet the son and embraces him before he ever hears the confession. This is the hope of the gospel. This is what we have to look forward to. This is why we're disciples. Amen? I'm going to try that again. This is why we're disciples. Amen? Amen. Amen. You're awake. Good job. (laughs) This is why we're disciples, because we don't have to do anything. Jesus does it all for us. So there's three examples here, and what they show us is this, that Jesus calls to believe amidst our doubt. Peter is called to believe amidst his doubt in that reconciliation that I told you about at the end of John, um, Peter and John, I'm um, sorry, Jesus and Peter have this conversation and three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And he asks him one for each time that Peter rejected him. And so there is a reconciliation there. Peter never stops being a disciple, but he has doubt and he struggles with the doubt. And Jesus says, believe me amidst the doubt. So, He's not the only one, right? I told you Mary struggles with doubt. Thomas is famous, right? He's called Doubting Thomas because he struggles with doubt. He says, Jesus, uh, I will only believe that he's returned if I can put my hands in his side and if I can touch the, the wounds on his hands and his feet, then I'll believe. And Jesus says, you can doubt. That's not the problem. You should believe. I've given you everything you need to believe, but you can doubt. That's not the problem. The problem is when we make it our foundation, like the older brother does, He makes it his foundation, and he stops experiencing the goodness of the Father. The Father wants to give him every good gift, and he stops experiencing that. He can have anything that the Father has, but he won't experience it because he's doubting that the Father is good. So don't make it your foundation. You can doubt. It's not going to disqualify you from being a disciple. Instead, this is what your foundation should be. Confess your sins, believe, and be saved by grace through faith. That's what the younger brother does in the story right? He confesses his sins. He's saved. He doesn't have to do anything. The father accepts him back into the, the family. And then he chooses, right? This is what discipleship looks like. We choose to respond in the right way. How many of you are familiar with something called the Westminster? Oh, wait, confession. Did I go back? Wait, I missed it. I'm ahead of myself. I'm just way ahead of myself. If we're going to be disciples of Jesus, um, we need to know what his purpose is because that's going to dictate our purpose. So let's look at these two verses here, John 18, 37 and John 6. John eighteen thirty-seven, Pilate and Jesus are talking. We talked about this passage a couple of weeks ago for those of you who are here. And uh, Jesus says, this is my purpose. This is why I came into the world. If you go to John 18, uh, 37, he says, my purpose is to bear witness to the truth. And what is the truth? Here's the truth, John 6, 38 through 40. I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, that's God the Father. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that was given to me, and that I should raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. So that's Jesus' purpose. He came into the world To save us. That's his purpose. If we are his disciples, our purpose should look something like that. We'll get to that in a second. Let's let's look at what he says, though, about people who are not his disciples, because I told you there were two groups, disciples and not disciples. And he says something very important about people who are not disciples, and it's this. Matthew 8, 21 and 22. Another of Jesus' disciples came to him. He said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father, uh, in, the, in the larger context of that conversation, he says, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I just need to go bury my dad. My dad died. Let me go bury my dad. And Jesus' response, he says, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. What does that mean? Does that mean people in coffins are going to bury people in coffins? That doesn't work, right? What does that mean? That means this, that if you are not a disciple, that you're dead. That's hard because a lot of us know people, we love people who are not disciples of Jesus, and this is how he describes them, dead. He says, people who have me have life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you don't have me, you don't have life. So if there are two groups, disciples and not disciples, one has life and the other doesn't, this is what Jesus says about those who are not his disciples. Here's how he says it in Matthew chapter 9. Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He doesn't leave us with those who aren't disciples or dead. He says, I came into the world to save sinners. So here's where the hope is. It's hard to hear if people are not disciples, they're dead. But it's so good to know that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why he's here And you should have figured it out now, but just in case you haven't, that's why we're here too. So if we're his disciples, here's our purpose. I'm going to go back and read Matthew 28, 5 through 7, and then 19 through 20. Uh, Matthew 28 says this, 5 through 7, this is the angel talking to Mary, uh, the two Marys. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. That's what it means to be a disciple. He says, I know your disciples. You seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here for he is risen. As he said, that's the good news of the gospel. Come see the place where he lay. Come investigate. Come look at the evidence. Come pay attention to who Jesus is and what he said and now what he's done. He's risen from the dead. Okay, so this is our purpose to be like Mary here and to see what Jesus has done. And then verse seven Go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you'll see him. See, I have told you. So Mary and the other Mary are given the specific instructions of telling the other disciples that Jesus has risen from the dead. But then all of the disciples, now in verse 19 and verse 20, are given the specific instruction of making more disciples. It says in verse 19 Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. This is our purpose from God, that we would be disciples who make disciples and glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now the question, who's heard of the Westminster Catechism? Anybody? Anybody? We've got some silent nods. We've got some people who are probably in shock right now and some trauma because of the Westminster Catechism. Anybody as a child have to memorize the Westminster Catechism? Nobody wants to admit to it. It's okay. So for those of you who don't know, right the Westminster Catechism is a teaching tool designed hundreds of years ago by Christians in England um, who wanted to teach illiterate Christians, people who couldn't read or write um, how to understand the gospel. And so they used this tool, a series of questions and answers, to help people understand what their faith was, what they believed in their faith. And the very first question is, what is the chief end of man, or what is the purpose of mankind? And the answer is this, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What does that have to do with discipleship? How does God want us to glorify him? He wants us to be disciples who make disciples. That's how we glorify God. That's how we bring praise to God, by sharing the good news with other people. It's not how we get saved, but that's how we glorify God. And he wants us to enjoy him. It says, uh, behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. And then he also said, we read earlier, He's going to bring all these people to himself who are his disciples and they'll be with him eternally. So this is what it means to glorify God and enjoy him forever, to be his disciple. That's our purpose. Uh, C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says there are two kinds of people, those who say to God, thy will be done and those to whom God says, all right, then have it your way. And that's essentially the difference between a disciple and not a disciple. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you're saying, I want your will because i 'm going to follow after you, and if you 're not a disciple you 're asking God like the prodigal son did right to give you the inheritance now because i 'd rather i didn 't have to deal with you at all so those are the choices those are the choices and if your purpose if your purpose is a question for you, what is my purpose? What am I doing here i 've lived a lot of years on this life i don 't know what I should do next if your purpose is in question. Consider that Jesus has called you to be a disciple and that we are calling you to be disciples. That's why we're here. Grace Community Church exists, right? That's our mission, to be disciples who make disciples. That's why we're here. And that's what we think you are called to do as well. Um, This morning, we are going to have communion. And if you did not pick up one of these on the way in, uh, raise your hand. We've got some ushers here in the back and they will bring you one of these. So just keep your hand up for a second. Uh, The praise team is going to come out and this morning, instead of going straight to communion, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to give you some few moments uh, as we sing a song to reflect on what it means to be a disciple or not a disciple and what you want to do. What is your choice? So we're going to encourage you to, to reflect on that. Um, if you want to take communion with us, this morning is open to all believers. Uh, as we think about what it means to be Jesus' disciples, I want to encourage you with something. And that is that Jesus doesn't ask us to do things that he himself does not do. And I'll say that again. Jesus does not ask us to do things that he himself does not do. Now, he does ask us as disciples to be willing to give up our lives. But we know that Jesus gave up his life. And that's why we're doing this, to remember his death. So Jesus, on the night he is betrayed, on the night he is to give up his life, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this and remember it's of me. Take the bread. After supper, Jesus took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. A covenant is a promise. And the promise is that we will not die eternally, but we'll have everlasting life with him. That's the new covenant in his blood. And he said, do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me, Let's drink the cup. And when we do this, this is proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. We know that he is going to return. We trust that he will be here and we're still going to have doubts, but we have to believe amidst our doubts because he is a good God. He can return sons back from the dead just like he raised himself from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have no reason to doubt, but when we do doubt, we can trust that he is good. Would you pray with me? God, we praise you for this sign, this remembrance of your body broken and your blood shed for us. We thank you that you are good and that you are always doing what we are called to do. Lord, teach us and lead us and guide us every day. Pray it in your name. Amen.